Hello and welcome back to Jake's World, episode 30 of Jake's World. I'm your host, Jake Sawinski, and today is Tuesday, August 18th. Jake's World is also brought to you by The Nuance Magazine. 2020 finally has some good news because the Nuance Magazine summer issue is here. The Nuance Mag is a budding music, art, style, and culture digital publication focusing on the promotion of talented, up-and-coming creatives. The sophomore Nuance issue hit the virtual shelves on Friday, August 14th, featuring Future's hand-picked prodigy, Seti Hendrix, as the cover star. In addition to the loaded cast of artists in the issue, they announced the official release of the Nuance-approved clothing line. If you visit them on their website www.thenuancemagazine.com or go to at the nuance magazine and at nuance approved on Instagram you can see all of the awesome vintage clothing that nuance has to offer you can use the promo code Jake at checkout for 15% off your purchase again that's www.thenuancemagazine.com promo code Jake for 15 off. Super cool stuff. What a college buddy of mine, a couple of his buddies back in Tennessee are working on. So give that a check. Check that out. They're super into it. Super awesome. Super creative. Really talented. Give that a shot. Now for today's show. I pushed back the show from yesterday to today just you know, in the event I could think of something a little more besides sports to talk about. And that really didn't help. I mean, maybe a lot of things did happen over the weekend. Typically, my weekends don't involve me sitting on my phone, playing on Twitter, or watching anything newsworthy. So, I mean, I'm, I kind of tune out over the weekend. But, should be plenty to talk about today. First, a little bit of a rant about my Blackhawks. Jesus God. Jesus God. Finally had the chance to watch them Saturday night or evening. Wasn't on too late. They started at 7. Puck drop was at 7 for game 3. They were down 2-0. I didn't watch the two games during the week just because they were in the late slot. They looked like Pope, Patrick Kane, the best American-born hockey player ever. Hits the post on a wide-open shot from a pass across the crease. Beautiful tape-to-tape pass, and he clunks it. And they lost 2-1. to one. That would have tied the game up at 2. Anything could have happened in overtime. So, frustrating. They looked really bad game 1 from what the highlights I've seen. Game 2, I caught the overtime period. They lost, you know, another poster. They've hit 13 shots off the poster, the crossbar. That's really frustrating because it's 13 unlucky puck bounces. Looked better on my drive up Sunday. I wasn't able to watch. They played in the afternoon. By the time I got home, by the time I got home, they were all done. Couldn't see them win, but hopefully they can get on a little roll tonight. I think in... NHL history in the Stanley Cup playoffs. I think teams that go up 3-0 are like 190-4. and So 
odds are not in Chicago's favor. Flavor. Not in their favor, but who knows? Can see what's happened. Can see what happens. So everything else seems to be kind of going a little bit normal in the sporting world, right? I mean, of course, you know, you got the playoffs going on in each respective sport, NHL, the NBA, um, MLBs, you know, it's cruising along. Not too many more cancellations. No big issues popped up again. NFL, we'll see what happens. NCAA, well, I still don't think that season's going to happen. But I guess they're moving as planned. So I guess we'll see what happens in the coming weeks. Now, this first thing I want to talk about was probably the biggest piece of news from the weekend. Alex Smith, quarterback for... The Washington football team, formerly the Redskins, the R-Words, he has been cleared to play or practice or participate in football activities once again by the NFL. I think this happened Friday night into Saturday or Saturday night into Sunday. It doesn't matter. It was over the weekend. He is cleared to participate once again. Now, it was two years ago that he severely injured his leg during a football game. I think it was week 11 of 2018. I think they were playing the Houston Texans. And he was making a cut. He got tackled and blew out his leg. He broke his tibia and his fibula. Gruesome injury. Typically a long recovery time course and um i mean you hate to see guys hurt themselves especially you know their knee their leg but it's i wouldn't say common definitely not common with the severity of this injury i'll get into it but in football it's something you see little less than regularly but more than rarely if that makes sense right he gets carted off the field. He seems to be in good spirits. You know, he's conscious at the time, right? He's got his leg protected. They, you know, cover everything up that way. No one sees anything, right? And he gets to the hospital, right? And he has a surgery. And there's some complications going on with it. And his wife is, like, talking with the doctors. And Alex is talking with the doctors or whatever. Few days later, they're having issues at post surgery. Right, he's you know, burning up. He's got a fever. Um, all kinds of crazy complications going on with it, like blood pressures dropping, high fever. They did. Uh, they were thought it was a blood clot or a pulmonary embolism, same thing, or something in the lung cardiogram, EKG stuff, just trying to figure out what's wrong. And the doctors were stumped, right? It turns out, uh, I won't go into everything, right? But he had some rare blood problem. And at first, the doctors didn't know what was going on with it. And then, you know, days later, it turns out that, like his skin and his muscle, all the tissue on his leg is rotting, right? It's been bandaged up, 
trying to recover from the surgery he just had and they have to go back to the doctor or go back to the hospital. It turns out he had something called necrotizing fasciitis. The skin is, he has a bacteria in his body, in his bloodstream or whatever. I'm not a doctor, clearly. And I'm struggling to read this ESPN article and talk at the same time. But, oh, there you go. There's one really rare bacteria in his bloodstream, Aramonas hydrophilia, a bacteria typically found in fresh water or brackish water. So essentially, he had a flesh-eating bacteria that is eating away at all the tissues in his leg. He's septic and essentially dying. And when you have disease like this in your bloodstream, it goes all over your body, of course. Blood pumps everywhere. It affects everything in your body. And, you know, just, uh, I won't, I don't want to say simple, because simple's not the right word, but a an instance where you think initially that it's a cut and dry injury turns out to be a fight for his life. And um, Saturday or Sunday, um, I think it was his wife who was recording him. He walks out of the house. He's got his full leg brace on or cast on, but he's walking. And then there's video of him participating in drill work, right? You know, doing the agility ladders, making cuts and using his leg almost normally and it's so crazy to see what he went through over the last year and a half to just even nurse him back to health it's a miracle he even has a leg still yet alone is able to potentially play play professional football again and play golf Sunday my buddy and I were talking about it and it's like we're like yeah it's really crazy that he might be able to take another snap again then I'm thinking about it for a little bit and the first thought that comes to my mind is why would you want to it's been almost two years a year and a half yeah in nine of those months short of the like before the rehab process started he had 17 surgeries on his leg to save his life to keep his leg to make it even usable 17 surgeries my first instinct would be why would you even want to play football again like not even Excuse me. Not even a, an issue with, you know, being afraid to take a hit or, you know, using your body in a way that you once did at 100% capacity with trust being there. Confidence that your body can, you know, make those cuts and quick turns and sudden movements. But just going through all of that, why would you want to go through that again? And he has a luxury of being a longtime professional quarterback where he's financially in a position to where he wouldn't need to ever play football again. And 100% of people out there would totally understand. Does he love football that much? For me, it probably wouldn't matter what it was. If something in my life caused me to go through that and have such a traumatic experience just to come back to get to where I once was, knowing that was the process of it all, 
I don't even think I'd want to. I mean, that would just be exhausting. You know what I mean? It's like, I feel like almost losing your life like that would open you up to a new way of thinking, a new perception of your life, the world, right? And I'm not trying to like judge him for his decision or say that he should be in a different position the way he his outlook on life is. If that's what he wants to do, that's what he wants to do. Maybe he has something to prove. Maybe it's that's how he's driven. He's an ultra-competitive person. Maybe that's his makeup. I'm just trying to say, I don't think that I could overcome that obstacle. And I think there are a lot of other people out there who would feel the same way. Hey, that game caused you to go through that. You know, dozen and a half surgeries. A year of rehab. Just so you can play football a few more seasons. Like, is that really worth it, man? Is that worth it, Alex? I don't Like I said, I'm not sure. And, I mean, is he ever going to play a meaningful snap again? That's also to be seen. But if that's what he wants to do, I'm rooting for him 100%. It's a really cool story to see that he was fighting for his life, essentially. And that's something I don't think that... That's something we take for granted, right? We look at athletes as really lucky people who get paid millions of dollars to play a game. And they are. They're very fortunate, very blessed to have, you know, the correct um, personality traits and physical traits you need to be able to succeed in that style, in that lifestyle, right? You need to be, with football, you need to be big, fast, strong. You um, need to be competitive enough to actually want to excel at your craft and beat out other people who want the same thing you do. You have to be focused on that and you have to avoid distractions and a lot of us can't do that. So I give him credit and I wish him the best going forward and I'm really curious to see what the next step is for him. Now on to baseball. Before I get into the main topic of the MLB on today's show, I would like to note out that if you do not follow 2020 Houston Astros Shame Tour on Twitter, it's at asterisk, asterisk tour, definitely worth a follow. Um, they have been ragging Jose Altuve as of late. And it's super funny because he was the guy that... Um, he hit that walk-off home run at the bottom of the ninth inning. I think that was in the CS. I'm trying to remember. Maybe it wasn't. This was three years ago, too. Whatever. He hit a walk-off home run in one of the playoff games, and his teammates were, like, pulling on a jersey, right? And he's like, no, 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 no. Don't take it off. Don't take it off. And then in the pressers, after the game, all the reporters were like, uh, what was that? What was that about? You know, like you were kind of teammates were super excited and, you know, they're just pulling on you. Why did you get so defensive, uh, about the, uh, them pulling at your Jersey, tugging at your Jersey. 
and he, he didn't answer. Carlos Correa answered, and he's like, uh, yeah, he's got a really, really bad tattoo, and it was super embarrassing, and it's like, you're fucking rad, Altuve. He was wearing a wire, I'm convinced. But, like, there, he's batting, like, 168, and he's just looked like an idiot at the play. Like, seriously, he looks like a high schooler in the big leagues right now. He's just swinging his shit. Um, he can't, they, it, it's, it's comedy. I, it's, and they're still managing to win a few games here and there, but Bregman, um, Altuve, Springer, they're all batting under 200 or very close to the Mendoza line. Uh, I mean, they can't even run the bases right. <laughs> Playing poor defense. It's comical how bad they are right now, and they deserve every... <laughs> Every bit of guff they're getting. But that's not even the biggest story. Going to get into some unwritten rule talk. Now, me playing baseball for the majority of my life, as long as I can remember, baseball has this mystique about it regarding like um, superstition, unwritten rules. There's things you do and don't do. And that's like that with every part of life and especially sports, but it seems like baseball is, you know, the oldest game in our country's history. It's regarded as our national pastime. That's kind of changing, but, you know, historically, baseball has been the most popular, you know, just because it's been around since the 1870s, 1880s. There are so many little nuances to the game that you don't, it's not an actual rule, but it just seems like it's indoctrinated in baseball culture. And it's little things, right? If you're up by five, six, seven, you know, in that territory, you don't steal bases. You don't bunt. You never step on the foul lines. Um, you don't ever walk across a pitcher's mound. Um you know, it's just little things like that. They're not explicitly part of the game, but it looks really bush league when you do things that go against those unwritten rules. One of them, I guess, now this one was news to me. I'm not very superstitious, but I kind of respect those rules because some people are. Fernando Tatis was up. They, uh, he plays for the San Diego Padres, and he's batting. They're playing the Texas Rangers. They're up 7-0. The bases are loaded. He's batting, and it's a 3-0 count. And the pitcher throws him a dick shot, and he swings at it. Now, baseball purists are... Um, some people are pretty angry. It was the, Houston, uh, the Texas manager who was not very happy about Tatis taking a 3-0 hack and hitting a home run, because now they're down 11. His own manager didn't defend him either, by the way. But that kind of caused a social media stir about the whole, hey, is, is, take, is not taking a 3-0 pitch Bush League? Anyone who says taking a 3-0, Anyone who says that you have to take a 3-0 pitch is Bush League themselves. They're dumb. They're stupid. They're morons. No, why 
would you why why is that a thing who thought of that that's something I didn't know the the trend is hey it's 3-0 you're probably not gonna get something to hit because the pitcher couldn't throw you something to hit the first three times something to hit being a strike it might not be your preferred pitch or a perfect pitch for you to hit but the strike zone is based upon you know from kneecaps area up to chest area that's based upon something you should feasibly be able to put in play that's why that's the strike zone if you could hit balls over your head regularly that would be included in the strike zone if you're if you could hit pitches off the top of your shoes that would be a strike there's a reason why that's the strike zone and if the pitcher can't throw you something in that general area, you're probably not going to be able to hit it, hence it being a ball. If you want to get yourself out, why not? It's not smart. Most players take 3-0 because one more pitch, you have a walk. You're on first base. You did your job. He didn't throw it the first three times. What makes you think he's going to throw a fourth? But sometimes pitchers take luxury in the fact that, hey, this guy's probably not going to swing anyways. I'm just going to lay one in there, and he's probably not going to swing it anyways. That's what this pitcher did, except Tati's fucking unloaded it, and it that ball still hasn't landed yet, by the way. I, d- I don't understand. Now, the the thing I have the issue with isn't so much the reaction to it, just because, you know, baseball's kind of snobby with, especially in, like, the journalist part of it. Baseball purists are a thing, right? Like, oh, the game has to be played the way it was in 1926. It's like, shut up, you're dumb. There are a lot of snuffy journalists like that and uh, baseball insiders. It, it just seems to be a stuffy kind of sport where the other sports leagues are a little bit more progressive and they want to see things change and make it more exciting. This is exciting. You don't see that very often. I just, I get that part, right? I don't understand why your manager didn't go to bat for you. Like, I saw some, I was reading some comments on the original thread I saw today, but in this, somebody, I don't remember his name, it was just, I don't even know if it was like a Twitter bot or something, but somebody commented in the thread saying, like, why would you yell at a player for doing something in sports? Why would you yell at a player for doing something wrong and getting a good result? I mean, should he have swung at the 3-0 pitch? Probably not, but you get a pass if it pays off for you. Now, if he would have, you know, grounded into a double play, or probably not swing and miss because you have another chance. Some guys come unglued, but if he would have grounded into a double play, like a a 1-2-3 double play, for instance. Hits it back to the pitcher, he throws to the catcher, he throws it to first base. Then you look like a dum-dum. Like, either you get walked and you would have had a run come in, or you get a call strike and then a 3-1 is still a 
prime hitters count, you're still likely going to get something you can do something with, right? That didn't happen. And this guy compared it to football. Like, for instance, a quarterback calls audibles often. Coaches call a play, but the quarterback knows how to read defenses. He sees where guys are lined up. If you have nine guys in the box, they're probably blitzing. If you switch to something, switch to a play, a, a pass play, you're probably going to have something open, especially if you're in a formation with three guys out. If you stack the box like that, you wouldn't have nine in the box with three guys out. Somebody would be covering them, but you get what I'm trying to say. A quarterback sees everything going on. The coach isn't going to be able to see that from the sideline all the time. The quarterback doesn't get yelled at when he gets a big fourth down conversion or he throws a touchdown on an audible play. Why wouldn't your manager go to bat for you in the same exact situation, just in a different sport, a little bit different context? That confuses me. That I don't understand. But kind of got a little long-winded with that. It's just Baseball's strange, man. Baseball's really strange with those unwritten rules and the way we enforce them, too. It's like, I pitched in college. My attitude was, if he wants to swing at it, 3-0, fine. One, because if, I, if I'm up on you, 3-0, I'm probably not capable of throwing a good pitch right then and there anyways. And if you want to hit it out of the park, more power to you. It's like, go ahead, hit it out of the park. Can't do that at the pro level because they can and they will, but it's just stupid. You know, baseball purists need to get over themselves. So, switching gears a little bit here. Um, <laughs> I don't even know where to go with this one. If you have not, um, if you have been living under a rock, you know, the last month, our president, orange man, bad Donald Trump has taken a new crusade against mail-in voting, right? He does these daily press conferences mostly for, you know, coronavirus updates and reporters reporters will ask him a bunch of questions, some very relevant, most probably nonsense, right? But he has taken it upon himself to highlight the Differences between mail-in ballots and absentee voting and absentee ballot. Now, I don't care what your political leanings are. I don't care about your opinions on anything because your opinion is wrong. He's actually right whether you like it or not. Now, I don't think the way he's handling it is right. I'll explain. Mail-in ballot. It's very simple, to, and I don't know. I think it's just we're in a, such a polarized society now where if you don't agree with the mainstream, you're automatically cast out, and there's no room for conversation anymore. There's just not. But it's very simple. An absentee ballot, it's, it's really all the direction. It's just direction. Where does that process go? An absentee ballot is you reaching out to request a ballot to vote with because you will not be there. You have to verify your identity. 
You have to verify your address that you are actually a living person, and then they mail it to you. Mail in ballot, mailing voting, mail in voting is different because you act, you don't have that verification process. They just send out ballots. Now, anyone with a brain would realize that Washington, D.C., above all the other large cities in this country, are hotbeds for corruptions, or for corruption. That's not a lie. That's truth. You know, before our current president was elected, everyone hated politicians equally. Can't trust them. They're dirtbags, they're scumbags, they're slime balls. That hasn't changed. They just have you distracted. They have you, they're pulling the wool over your eyes and focusing all your hate toward one person instead of everyone else. Now, if you dislike him, that's fine. If you have your own reasons for that, that's fine. But don't forget that there are other people there too. Political corruption, especially within voting, is nothing new. Tammany Hall was one of the longest-running political machines in New York City during the 1860s to the 1880s and beyond that. The Daly family ran Chicago for 50 years. People reported these times that the whoever ran the voting... Body who does that, I'm not really quite sure who did it back in the day, sent ballots to dead people that were filled out. Uh, they weren't really sent out. They were just forged. This guy's been dead for 20 years. How the fuck did he vote? This, I'm not saying that it would happen. He's convinced it is, and that's where I think the problem of him handling it comes in. He's assuming that it's just going to be, you know, a rigged election, and then the other side screaming, oh no, it's going to be rigged because you won't let it happen. It's like, guys, please use your brain. This is probably not the best idea. It's a unique scenario, though, because you don't want people gathering, but people have been gathering anyway, so I don't see what the difference is, but that's just me. It's not me being not liberal, it's not me being conservative, it's not me being liberal or not conservative. That's besides the point. Just It makes no sense what's going on right now. Because nobody's using their brain. It's everyone pointing the finger, saying, I hate you, you did this, you did this, you're not doing this, you didn't do that. It, it's just blame. We're just casting blame at each other. No one's thinking things through. No one's thinking logically. Common sense, it's gone. So... I don't care. I'm just speaking my mind. We need to find a median way to do this, right? If states can prove that they can do this in a manner that is not unlawful, then that's an alternative you could explore. I mean, me personally, I just think it's not going to work out just because of the way our political climate is. You could have it, voting problems occur all the time. I mean, when they first introduced electric or electronic voting in Florida, they had to do a recount. We didn't know who the presidential winner was, whether it was Al Gore or 
um, George Bush, we didn't know for weeks after because they had to recount it. Those things happen all the time. And I think the logistics of it are less important than the way that we're handling it as a collective nation because just because the president is such a polarizing figure means he's wrong and that couldn't be further from the truth because that does bring up potential issues. Now, I'm not going to be a Trump stan or anything, right? I mean, I think he's a bonehead just like most of the other people who we get to watch on the news every day. But he's got a fair point. I don't think he articulates it well, and that's what really irritates me is because it's like you have the answers in front of you. If you could just talk, explain yourself, maybe we could get over a hurdle. But then again, the people who are pointing the finger don't want him to change. They just want him gone. So, A little lighter note for the end of the show. Um... I was listening to something last week. I'm not sure where I saw it, but it was kind of in context to everything going on. And it's a simple quote. It's peace is a practice, not a destination. Right Now, I kind of thought about this for a little bit, right? Because, I mean, you see it all over the place. Peace. World peace. End war. Uh Basketball players are throwing their, um, you know, they had the messages that they were allowed to put on the back of their jerseys. Um, a lot of them say world peace, things like that. And the way we have that ingrained in our brains is like a holistic thing, right? It might sound weird, but it's a destination. We think of it as being the end result to... You know, uh, how you'd achieve that, I don't know. Just because people are selfish and there's um, vices in this world and I don't think that's feasible, but it's something to shoot for. We think of it as a destination where it's a, pra- it's a practice in your everyday life. We think of it as doing it as one, as one, instead of doing it for one, yourself. How can you make bring peace to your life? How can and that doesn't have to be with the way you interact with others. It can be within the way you think. I have problems with this myself. My brain's always rushing and racing and I worry about things a lot and I'm overthinking and you know, spacey and not in the moment where I should be all the time. And that's so important to Look at that from a different way. Because how can you achieve peace within yourself? Because how can you bring peace to the world if you're not in peace with yourself? That was my feeble attempt at being wise. So just think about that. If I didn't clarify that at all, I might have just wasted two minutes of your time. But if you got something out of that, cool. Think about it. Peace is a practice, not a destination. You have to do it for yourself. It's not something that's reached. It's something you work on every day. That concludes episode 30 of Jake's World. Once again, thanks for listening. Uh, Please rate, review, and subscribe. Tell your friends and family. It's 
get the ball rolling, of course. You can listen on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat, all at JakeSawinski8, J-A-K-E-S-A-W-I-N-S-K-I. And, of course, check out the Nuance magazine. Guys are really into what they do. They're giving out a good product. They got merch stuff, too, and I love getting new clothes. So I'm going to check that out soon, too. So give them a follow, engage with their stuff, and talk to you guys next time. Peace.